Sync Theism is brought to you by Rasho Christi Texas A&M, but the contents of our lecture are not necessarily supported by the national organization. I will um, probably not be saying anything too controversial here tonight, but in the event that I do, don't go calling our, uh, our, yeah, don't go calling our overlords, um, alien or otherwise. Okay, so, and now on to the actual lecture, which is on a topic a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. Why the ontological argument should be considered a war crime. What were Anselm's true intentions? I'm kidding. That's an inside joke. The ontological argument has kind of been my thing for like the past year or so. Anyway, the actual topic that we'll be discussing is whether or not Christianity is incompatible with extraterrestrial intelligence. In other words, if Martians, why Jesus? Um, now, if you're observant enough, you may even see a few aliens tonight. Um, you'll have to be observant and eagle-eyed, but they might just pop up. They're very subtle. So we're going to, we used to do something called the room game. We're going to do something ever so slightly similar to that. I want you to raise your hand if you think there is a greater than 10% chance that any extraterrestrial life exists. No, we are not extraterrestrial quite yet. As soon as, as, soon as Elon makes it to Mars, this question will be answered. No, we're not counting the, the space station. This includes microbes. Okay. I see okay. quite a bit of hands. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, okay. Now, raise your hand if you think there is a ten, greater than 10% chance that intelligent extraterrestrial life exists. Which means that if you were raising your hand, but then your opinion has changed after me having added this addendum, lower your hands. Intelligence as in animal level or intelligence as in like person level? Person Let's level. draw the cutoff at dolphins. Dolphins? Never mind, humans. <laughs> if, if, I were, like, if I were the writer of a best-selling novel called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, then dolphins would be... space dolphins. Space dolphins. Okay, I'd say probably. Space anyway. Dolphins. Now, put your hands down. Or else. <laughs> now, raise your hand if you think that extraterrestrial intelligence conflicts with Christianity, or if it just makes you kind of uncomfortable because you don't know how to factor it into your worldview. Okay. I'm seeing a couple of hands. Now, does anybody, is anybody quite so brave as to venture an explanation for why they think it makes them uncomfortable? Katie. Sure. Um just at the face of it, it seems like, um, well, for one thing, they could have made us a lot of, maybe some of the arguments I would originally pose for God might be a little bit shakier, because I don't know, maybe they designed the Earth and the planet, maybe they have vastly superior things, and maybe their evolution and their path makes more sense than I've kind of understood ours from a chemical perspective, at least. Uh, so that would be one factor that would make me a little bit more uncomfortable. They might also have better arguments for some religions and beliefs <coughs> Okay. Katie has brought up a huge swath, swath of things that we'll be discussing tonight, and I'll try and point those things out when we reach them. 
Uh, before we get deep into this topic, here are the things I want you to walk away with. And in fact, he wants you to walk away with them as well, which is why he's gesturing to them thusly. You get to name every single alien that you see on these slides. No, like we have, so, we have Alvin the Atheist and um, oh, Calvin, uh, Calvin the Christian. Alvin the Alien. <laughs> Coincid no relation. They just so happen to have very similar And very, very similar alphabets and whatnot. It's, act it's, it's actually more like Alvin. Well, well, it's Alvin the Alien, but it's all one word. That's his name. We're getting off topic. <laughs> Alvin the Alien and so, the Alien. Here are the takeaways that if you left now, you might be all right. Uh, first of all, there are no conflicts with the core of Christianity. Secondly, there are no inherent apologetics problems with aliens, but it can enhance a problem that already exists. Three, you should reconcile your perspective on the Christian narrative with a wide range of possibilities. And four, there are no strong positive reasons to believe that ETI extraterrestrial intelligence exists in our galaxy. And so, if I fail to convince you of, I suppose, the first two and the third, we'll get into that, then you can walk away from this meeting uh, somewhat unfazed, hopefully. So, I kind of want to ask, why are we discussing this now? Is this relevant or timely? You might even ask, is this a, uh, a contemporary issue? You might even ask if you were grading whether or not this was a contemporary issue on a scale of 0, 1, or 2, whether or not this would get... Well, I think it might even get a 2. Uh, big, really? Anyway, sci-fi... No, no, 0, 1, or 2. Sci-fi movies come out regularly, and every single time one does come out, well, some of the times that one does come out, they encourage us to ask these sorts of thought-provoking questions about what makes us human, and in the end, it kind of wraps back around into not a question about what aliens are or what our relationships with aliens will be, but what humans are and what our relationship with our neighbors should be. Um, and so I think that's, uh, that this is a very thought-provoking topic, even in the absence of a scientific impetus. Um, as in hard evidence that, want, that demands that we look further. Um, of course, we're always curious about our surroundings and whether or not we're alone in this universe, so we're always looking. Um, we're always very curious. Uh, and so in that sense, this topic is timeless. And then I also think that in particular, it can give us a unique lens to understand and appreciate certain Christian truths. So. Some of you guys raised your hands. You know what, let's call this guy Bill. So the first one was Alvin and this guy's Bill. We don't have to go in alphabetical order, but he looks like a Bill, doesn't he? Hmm. Anyway, um, so, so, some, some of you guys raised your hands when I asked whether or not uh, you thought there might be a conflict or you thought it made you uncomfortable for some reason. And here are some some possible thoughts that might have been going through your head. Uh, Jill Tarter, former director of SETI, thinks that if ETI made their existence known to us, we would abandon our religious beliefs and adopt whatever they believe, since they would likely be the intellectually and technologically superior species, which is what Katie uh, referenced earlier. Um, physicist Paul Davies, or Paul Davis. I've, but there is a guy named Brian Davies. 
and his name is actually pronounced Brian Davis. Isn't that weird? Uh, Paul Davies thinks the existence of ETI would have a profound impact on religion, shattering the traditional perspective of God's special relationship with man. And then you might also think that if there are other alien creatures who have human-level intelligence, is it possible for Christ to become incarnate, God becoming incarnate in the same way that he did for humans, as Christians traditionally believe? Um, and if you don't believe that, you might think that if he did become incarnate as an alien creature on, in, in, through multiple iterations, it would just become a traveling circus act, and believing in such a thing would be absurd. We're going to address all those things. I'm, I'm going to attempt to address all those things in a rather rigorous framework, and that framework has been provided to us by Tyler McNabb and C.A. McIntosh. What does the C stand for? Chad. I'd, when you search C.A. McIntosh, it actually pulls up a bunch of other options and indeterminative, so Chad McIntosh, if you wanted to look up his name further. Uh, the, this will be our primary source because, like I said, it will provide us with a rigorous framework for tackling this question. Uh, some other sources, like I said earlier, I think that science fiction can provide us an interesting lens to think about these sorts of questions. Um, so we, be, we will talk about C.S. Lewis, Out of the Silent Planet, which I have read, The Sparrow, which I have not read, but I've read a summary, Signs, which I have watched, I think, have I watched it more than twice? Do I want to admit that? Uh, and Ender's Game, which I have not neither watched nor read. We, I know. We may, we may have to remedy that next semester. Cough, cough. Um, so, here's our framework. Is ETI incompatible with Christianity? Here are the potential sources of conflict. Conflict with theism. If there is no God, then there is no Christianity. Conflict with scripture. Conflict with doctrine. Conflict with tradition. ETI and the problem of evil and narrative conflict. And we'll explain by what we mean by each of those when we get to them. First of all, conflict with theism. Um, and here's one potential way of formulating the conflict with theism. You could say premise one, God would not create ETI. Premise two, ETI exists. Conclusion, God does not or probably does not exist. I just kind of put that together because um, McNabb and McIntosh do not consider very many arguments in their article because it, it seems such a vague and, um, and weak argument to pursue that, that this isn't the route that most people take. Uh, Katie mentioned something interesting, that perhaps if somebody is inclined to explain human origins with respect to God's creative power, but it was actually the creative power of some alien intelligence, then that could undermine one of the reasons that you might have to believe in God. Um, but even then, um, there are a lot of other reasons, and most people don't have, and nobody has really made that argument in a very rigorous way. That is what Katie mentioned. Uh, and there are other variations of that. For example, if we discover that alien life is actually plentiful in the universe or in the galaxy, then we might be inclined to think that life simply finds a way. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that the mechanisms for creating life and evolving to an intelligent state are actually much simpler than we originally imagined, even if we still don't know what they are. So um, those kinds of considerations factor into some arguments for the existence of God. Uh, that's a level of detail that won't really benefit us tonight to pursue any further, I don't think. 
unless anyone has any further thoughts. Okay. Conflict with scripture. If Christianity's sacred scriptures taught that there is no... Ah! Okay, moving on. TLDR, because um, that was a lot of text, and then Jar Jar showed up, and we want to get away from that. Uh, one, there are no aliens in the Bible. So if you're looking for a direct contradiction or direct confirmation, you're not going to find in the Bible. The Bible does not claim aliens don't exist. And then three, there's no obvious reason why the Bible would address whether or not alien life exists. Any further comments on conflict with scripture? So I think this is, this is basically like, like the dinosaur objection, right? Like the Bible doesn't say anything about dinosaurs, uh, but obviously there's this entire class of life that exists that you know, the Bible doesn't know about. And I, and I guess the, the idea just being like, this sort of confirms that the people that were writing the Bible don't really have uh, a specific grasp on the world. They probably thought it was flat. They probably thought the sun went around them. They didn't know about dinosaurs. Of course, they're not going to know about aliens. So that just makes it even more irrelevant. It's like my mother always says. Um, the Bible is, uh, what does she say? It's sufficient, but not exhaustive. Uh, you have to consider what were the biblical author's priorities. And they did not include dinosaurs because they were not digging up archaeological grave sites and whatnot. They did not include um, aliens. They did not include the roundness or sphericity or smoothness or flatness of the earth, though it did include several other astronomical phenomena. Um, so you, and that's a good general hermeneutical principle that you should always kind of keep in mind when you're reading a text. What were the author's priorities? And if you're looking for something that, that lies outside of the, the bounds of those priorities, then reconsider. No. Hermeneutical is the methodology of interpretation. So, um, as a quick maybe, we might touch on this a little bit more later, but would some people say that if God is indeed the author of the text and there are living creatures out there that he didn't seem to focus on or emphasize that are sentient or intelligent? Uh, having those words that we convey, that would still be perhaps an issue, because that seems like a huge and very significant area that the Bible doesn't on. I knew I should have added that slide about, um, about inerrancy versus inspiration versus dictation. So there are several ways for considering how the Bible is written. Um, and one of those ways is a dictation model, where God is the author of the Bible in the sense that he said every single word that re we read today, or at least every single word that was part of the original text, he said that or zapped it into the mind of the author. That is not the view that uh, Christians traditionally take, although you might have found that espoused by some Christians. Uh, we don't largely believe in a dictation model. We believe that the things that the authors wrote reflect their cultures and their time periods uh, and their understandings of the, of the world and their culture. Um, and it was restricted to their priorities and their needs. Um, it also included the things that God thought they needed to know, but it's hard to see why an ancient Near East culture with no capacity for space travel might need to know that. I, I would like to point out that in uh, a certain period in history, there was an argument that 
that antipodians couldn't exist because the Bible didn't talk about them. For those of you who don't know what an antipodian is, this is a person who's on the other side of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Antipode, like opposite. So there are people who say, the Bible doesn't talk about the other side of the earth, therefore there can't be people over there. And then consequently, Christopher Columbus thought that he was in India when he landed in, in North America. We actually are going to talk about that a little bit more um, once we get to a further point in the presentation. Now, the third section that we're going to be analyzing, we're going to skip over conflicts with tradition because there really are none. Um, As good Protestants, we have no tradition. <laughs> we have things like the Westminster Confession and and, 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 and so no, no. You can still read it. Anyway. Um, so we're going to move on to conflicts with doctrine, uh, and I think that we're going to reference a quote from Thomas Paine, the ancestor of all internet atheists. Now, I say that endearingly, perhaps, because I think that internet atheists provide us with a unique opportunity to, to engage in something that's less rigorous. They ask obvious questions that don't have one-sentence responses, and um, sometimes they're considered sophomoric or, or, or less advanced by scholars because um, they're, they're not rigorously formatted questions and they're expecting those one-sentence responses. But we can take those questions and, and we can formulate a rigorous response even though that's not what's being expected. So Thomas May, I am going to go ahead and read all of this because uh, I think it, he, he does have a certain humor in the way he writes, so hopefully this will be enjoyable. To believe that God created a plurality of worlds, at least as numerous as what we call stars, renders the Christian system of faith at once little and ridiculous and scatters it in the mind like feathers in the air. The two beliefs cannot be held together in the same mind, and he who thinks that he believes both has thought but little of either. Believe that God created a plurality of worlds, uh, from whence then could arise the solitary and strange... Con uh, from whence then sorry, could arise the solitary and strange conceit that the Almighty, who had millions of worlds equally dependent on his protection, should quit the care of all the rest and come to die in our world because they say one man and one woman had eaten an apple. And on the other hand, how are we to suppose that every world in the boundless creation had an Eve, an apple, a serpent, and a redeemer? In this case, the person who is irreverently called the Son of God, and sometimes God himself, would have nothing else to do than travel from world to world in an endless succession of deaths with scarcely a momentary interval of life. I think that it's pretty clever. It's not, like I said, it's not the most rigorous uh, objection, but uh, Macintosh and McNabb try to formulate in a, it in a bit more rigorous manner. So number one, if Christianity is true uh, and there is ETI, extraterrestrial intelligence, then either only humanity falls or all intelligent life falls. Uh, Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis, which we referenced earlier, actually goes to Mars and he goes to Venus, the, the protagonist. Spoilers, by the way. Um, and he discovers these alien races that uh, have not rebelled against God and still maintain a relationship with him. And on Venus, he actually discovers a pair, much like Adam and Eve. Um, so, already, for the first premise, we are on perhaps shaky ground. Uh, premise two, 
But it's absurd to think that either only humanity falls or that all intelligent life falls. Uh, this, uh, part, half of this is inspired by the principle of mediocrity, to where if we look at ourselves, the, the most rational or accessible assumption uh, is that we are representative of what we should expect to find elsewhere. And so if we're fallen, it is not unreasonable that we should look to, uh, we should see other sinful creatures when we look out into the cosmos, if we are to find any. Uh, and then the third premise, not the con premise, conclusion, therefore it is false that Christianity is true and ETI, and there is ETI. They cannot, they're incompatible. Uh, let's dig into these premises. Um, Essentially, what he's saying is that um, you have two possibilities, and both of them are absurd. You would have to be a fool to believe in either of them. So to think that only humanity falls, Jackson. How does this line up with like <coughs> angels and stuff? Then, because that's a form of intelligent life that theoretically could fall or couldn't fall. And so, if there's aliens, couldn't could they be some form of I think I'm going to touch on that later, um, but in general, I think that we ought to uh, um, maintain our focus on the prevalence or lack thereof of material life uh, elsewhere in the galaxy or the universe, um, but I think a later point in the presentation might be a suitable time to talk a little bit about that. Maybe another way to put the premise is that instead of as the principle of being mediocrity, is to say if intelligent life is common, it's very unlikely that humans are the only life that would fall. Yes. Even if we're not maybe average, as long as there's at least one other that's fallen, then the objection is still relevant. Now, um, the other uh, path that you could take is that all uh, intelligent life, or most intelligent life, or a significant amount of intelligent life uh, elsewhere in the galaxy falls, and therefore Jesus has his uh, hands full, uh, re incarnating and dying many times over. Um, and I think that we can agree that that is a, a semi-ridiculous picture to, to imagine that he has nothing else going on except this endless cycle of life and death and gathering uh, numbers of disciples and whatnot and promising that he'd be back. Uh, <laughs> that was a reference to last week's presentation, sorry. Uh, so, but there are a number of assumptions baked into Payne's argument that he, doesn't, that, that he doesn't write out the argument explicitly and he also doesn't write out the assumptions explicitly. But the first one is that all intelligent life would be fallen and need to be saved. So first of all, we can think of angels and demons and it is, um, traditionally thought that the spiritual powers who have rebelled against God do not share with humanity in the privilege of redemption. Um, that, is not, uh, that is far from a universal belief, but already we have a fair number of Christians who seem to traditionally disagree with assumption number one. Uh, assumption number two, all fallen intelligent life is saved only via incarnation. Uh, this goes back to our meeting on the atonement and, and what the mechanism is and why, why did Jesus take on the nature of man and why did he die the way he did. Um, 
And I think, I think Jackson did a pretty good job of, of presenting why the atonement that we see in our world is a coherent picture of how atonement could work. But um, now we're saying that it either has to happen again and again and again, or there's a different mechanism that we don't have any idea what that looks like. Um, and then the third assumption, oh, first of all, for the second assumption, we could just flat out deny it and say that God is God, and therefore there is another mechanism for atonement. He's, a, he's creative. Uh, third, there cannot be multiple incarnations. So we said that if there are many, many millions and billions of alien civilizations, it might be absurd to say that Jesus has his hands full incarnating and dying. But if life is still relatively rare and there are some alien civilizations which need to be saved, there's nothing in Christianity or Christian thought that says there cannot be multiple incarnations. And in fact, uh, Thomas Aquinas said as much in his Thuma, Summa Theologia. Does anybody have any comments on that? I feel like that's probably, if, if, if there's one thing that we had to stop the meeting for and just discuss for the rest of the time, that might be the most interesting thing. Go ahead. So, like the, uh, you know, you were saying Aquinas had comments on this, which I find is funny. Is you know, guys that lived thousands of years ago actually answered most of these questions, or at least thought about them. That I don't think is, is true. In fact, many of the the uh, like you know, scholastics they kept using this term that it was fitting that God came incarnate and suffered, but they don't, I don't think they really argued that it was necessary, right? No. Um, the, I think that, and that's actually kind of a... I don't think anybody's issue. proposed any alternative mechanisms, but... Well, I want to say, say John Chrysostom might have, but, but I don't know. I don't, I'm a Protestant. I don't read anything before. <laughs> no traditions? I, some people have argued that it is within God's power to have just forgiven without the atonement. Yeah, so, well, that, and that's kind of where I was going with this, is... is uh, Sometimes in, in the arguments about the atonement, um, I've definitely heard people make arguments say, well, this was the only possible way that God could have uh, done anything to redeem humanity. Um, and in fact, I think it ends somewhat that way, right? Like, why the God man? Well, this was the only possible way uh, that you know, wrath could be satisfied and, and things like that. Uh, but I, and I, and I think there's a distinction there between saying that. Uh, Incarnation and atonement is a way of doing it, but and at a certain point, could be other ways. At a certain point, um, you might have to correct me on this, but Jesus said, "If there is any other way, let this cup pass from me." In the Garden yeah. of Gethsemane, yeah. now that could have been applicable only to a certain interval or only to mankind. All that to say, um, I think you're right about that. Okay, I'm sorry. Missing, uh, grade A misinformation from the speaker here, and I've been called out. Sorry about that. You don't think it's possible? No, I think it's What is it? I think it's fine. Oh, okay, so Katie. As in, we should accept A3. does seem to talk about if Christ was to be crucified again and again and again. Uh, that's not true. He died once and for all once for all mankind. Ah. And you so might have some mankind? 
people, yeah. So that actually takes us back to A2, where yes, it says, there's a link between them here. yeah, to all fallen intelligent life is saved only via incarnation, assumes that the work Jesus did on Earth couldn't potentially apply to aliens elsewhere in the cosmos. If the gospel were in some way communicated to them, either by an angel or by Jesus, saying, hey, I, I took a pit stop over on this dinky little planet called Earth, and I did something pretty cool, and I think you should know about it. And then you only have one incarnation, um, one crucifixion, and one atonement for all of creation, which um, is another point worth bringing up, which is even if you don't have fallen ETI, you still have ETI, which might be living in a fallen world. Um, the traditional view is that the fall of mankind, or at least the rebellion of spiritual creatures in heaven, um, has a universe-wide impact. Um, we aren't necessarily committed to that view, but it is a traditional view. So in, in talking about these, specifically the, um, the A2 and A3, um, I mean, the question of what it means, like it, it, anthropology becomes really important, the incarnation and uh, what it means to be an imager of God, right? Because presumably, I, I I mean, we, we talked about kind of two different options, right? On the one hand, you can have multiple incarnations. What that means is that Christ's incarnate nature here would be different from his incarnation elsewhere, right? Because if it was the same, then he would be, you know, redeeming the same thing multiple times. <coughs> that can't On the other hand, we're saying that you could have one incarnation that serves for everybody. So in one case, you're saying that ETIs and humans are radically different. On the other case, you're saying that they're actually the same thing, that human, um, you know, man includes ETIs. Now, I would even push against that to say that is an interesting challenge, but we can, we, we can avoid that challenge by even saying that since God is God, there can be multiple meanings to being an image bearer of God. That doesn't seem unreasonable to me, to where a, fi a finite creature who is made in the image of God, that could mean well, different things on different planets, in which case it's yeah, not. We're talking about a, uh, a metaphysical reality, right? Which is that Christ is incarnate. <laughs> like he takes on human nature. Right. So does human nature include ETI or not? And, if and I don't think either so way. If it, you have a different kind of imager, is incarnation even make sense then? No, that's a, that's a good question. But my main point was just saying we have these two different things, and there are an opposite ends of the spectrum. You can't hold the both of them. And they make like core theological claims. Like you really have to talk about what does it mean to be an imager in order to even answer this question, right? Which takes me back to the beginning of my presentation, where the whole point was these can be interesting challenges. None of them are really knockdown, drag out uh, defeaters for Christianity. And, um, and they really just kind of give us an interesting lens to ask uh, more general questions about what we read in the Bible. What does it mean to be an image bearer? 
What did the atonement achieve? Why did Jesus become incarnate? Why did he take on human flesh and take on a human nature? Um, those are all interesting questions. None of them are a defeat, or none of them demonstrate incompatibility between ETI and Christian belief. Jet, did you have your raise, hand raised? Okay. Um, we're going to talk about this for a little bit more. Okay, incarnation. If there are any phys uh, philosophical challenges to the incarnation, then those are multiplied by however many incarnations there are or are not. Um, and would God abandon a populated creation just to come to Earth? That was one of Paine's arguments. Uh, and I just want to kind of dismiss that out of hand to say that he is horribly misunderstanding uh, omnipresence and the Trinity and probably a handful of other things. I don't think that's a very powerful objection, that God abandoned his creation. Uh, you still have God the Father and Jesus. Um, and then, of course, you have middle knowledge. and the, <laughs> You could go any number of ways with this. Uh, atonement. If atonement is unjust, which was so, par partially the objection in Jackson's meeting, that an innocent man takes on a guilty nature despite having done nothing wrong, um, so if that's unjust, then it becomes worse if it plays out the same way. And if it plays out in a different way, then that means that there was a different way, or, or there may have been a different way to do it on Earth. So that's an interesting challenge. Um, so you kind of have to defend that on Earth, in our unique circumstance, the atonement, the way it was done, was probably pretty much the best way that it could be done, which kind of takes us back to Anselm. He may not have been making a general argument or... Perhaps the better way to, to reformulate his argument would be in a human context without saying anything about ETI. And then resurrection. Once again, um, if there are any philosophical objections, those are just multiplied if it happens again and again. If it only happens once, and he's still, then he's dead. Uh, and if it happens multiple times, that kind of takes us back to the traveling circus objection. Does it cheapen it? Does it make it ridiculous? I, I think that's yeah. exactly right to where, and I think that that's common for, um, once again, I'm going to use the term, hopefully charitably, internet atheists, they'll latch on to a specific component of Christianity, take it out of its context, uh, reshape things, and then, and then cast it in a, in a quippy sentence that captures exactly why they think it's ridiculous. Um, but this methodology can easily be debunked if you just do this with any other set of beliefs. Uh, in fact, some scientific beliefs, like quantum mechanics and time dilation, if you format them strategically, they sound ridiculous. And if you tried to pitch them to a reasonable person, they would be like, no, I can't believe in something that ridiculous, but it, it's what scientists believe.
you were talking about how like uh, prophecies in the Old Testament had to be super sneaky because Jesus was trying to sneak uh, the plan of redemption past all the you know, dark powers and demons and whatnot. Like I said, he's kind of a character. And uh, so I just had this funny thought. What if the reason uh, on Heiser's view, what if the reason for the atonement is different is because God is having to sneak past the demons on all these different planets? So you can't do it the same way twice. Of course not. Right. <laughs> if you guys aren't familiar with Heiser, um, he's a great source on a lot of ancient Near East weirdness, which is not what we're talking about tonight, but I feel like alien weirdness and ancient Near East weirdness can kind of shake hands. And he actually does go to conferences of people who have abduction testimonies. If you haven't listened to the uh, Naked Bible podcast, definitely listen to that. Now, also curiously, he does not believe that there is ETI in our galaxy. I just thought I would mention but that. they just love all his ancient Near East stuff. Yes. So if you guys haven't heard of ancient aliens, don't look any further into that. <laughs> ancient astronauts, don't look any further into that. Unless you do, but count, count on losing an afternoon to aimless Googling and uh, YouTube documentaries and whatnot. ETI and the problem of evil. I actually think that this is really interesting, um, but we're not going to talk about it for very long. But first, but let me put this. If, if the problem of evil could hypothetically get worse if there's ETI, it could also hypothetically get better, i.e. these people could have better morals, more meaningful relationships, uh, an, an even more impactful redemption story. And on certain views, all of the evil that we observe um, is, com is outweighed by the incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And so if that's being multiplied again and again, then all the more that the problem of evil is presumably um, meliorated, that's a $10 word for you, um, by, um, by this outweighing overwhelming good of an incarnation, sacrifice, and resurrection. Um, perhaps uh, if life elsewhere in the universe is not intelligent, but rather animal, then we actually do just get a, un uh, a universally worse problem of evil. That's something I was thinking about, but unfortunately we don't have time to discuss it tonight. Uh, the problem of the unevangelized. So now we're kind of doing a tour de force of all the things we've discussed this semester and even in previous semesters. We've discussed the atonement, courtesy of Jackson. Now the problem of the unevangelized, which Julie gave a presentation on, and it should be posted to YouTube within the next few weeks. Uh, and she had a very good handout. So if you watch the YouTube video but you don't have the handout, we should find some way to, to couple the YouTube video and the handout. Um, uh, here's one objection you might make from, from this train of thought. If we are God's only chosen species in the cosmos, does that make the Great Commission just a cruel joke, considering most ETI would uh, be far beyond our reach, um, just on the scale of light years, and then outside of our galaxy, there's pretty much absolutely nothing we can do. I think it's pretty easy to argue that this is just not in God's nature, um, but it's an interesting thought. Problem of hell, courtesy of our very own Zachary Lawson there in the back. If the cosmos is more populated than we thought, is hell more populated as well? And if you take any issue with the fate of people in hell, 
then this problem is once again just multiplied. Um, I think Zach did a great job of presenting the distinction between a range of biblical interpretations, all held by church fathers, versus the most common interpretation, uh, and then weighing all of our possibilities using some philosophical considerations, so I highly recommend that you check out his meeting. So we're going to move on from objections to Christian doctrine and the problem of evil uh, and some unique apologetic things that we've already discussed this semester, and we're going to move on to the Christian narrative. What is the Christian narrative? Um, I asked if you guys felt discomfort or tension with the idea of ETI at the beginning of this meeting, and I think that that the idea of, of having a worldview is a part of this and, and realizing that the gospel, which is what we've been talking about this whole semester, the story of how humanity rebels against God um, and God selects a people and then from that people makes several covenants with them and brings into the world a savior to redeem all of creation. Uh, that story, which is the gospel, is the Christian narrative. And then after the Bible ends, we have the church and that is a part of the Christian narrative. And then all of us individually in this room are part of, the, as, are part of that narrative. Um, I mean, have you, you've probably been asked to share your testimony before, right? That's, that's a component of probably some of the ev uh, evangelization strategies you've been taught. Uh, and I think all of that just factors into the Christian narrative. And I've put this, I've put this plot here. No, it is not. I've put this plot here because uh, I think it's kind of, if, if there's any data point which is too far away, then you have to redraw the line. So the Christian narrative is kind of like our line, and we have to make sure that all the data points are within an acceptable range. Um, it is conceivable to us that ETI disrupts the Christian story, so to speak. Imagine you're watching a movie like The Shawshank Redemption, and then suddenly UFOs show up. Or you're reading a Greek play called Medea, and then at the end of the play, she just leaves on some dragons. That actually is a true story. She, she just leaves. It's a deus ex machina. Um, and it would feel really out of place in a really unsatisfying way to conclude the story. We're going to consider five scenarios. ETI is so remote or undetectable that we can't contact them. That's like the benign. It has absolutely no relevance to us other than philosophical, theoretical, all the way up to scenario five. Physical interaction with ETI is possible, ETI is hostile, and an existential threat to us. I'm not sure if any of you guys have watched Doctor Who. I've watched a little bit of Doctor Who. I'm not quite done yet. That's a Dalek. Um, now, for any given one of these scenarios and the reconciliation of that scenario with Christian belief and the Christian narrative, what we need is a theodicy. Um, and here are a few different theodicies. The anthropocentric theodicy. If any of you guys have seen signs, perhaps as many as three times, as I'm trying to think back, and I, th I think I've seen it three times for some reason, um, you know that the, the aliens come, and then Mel Gibson's character, who is a, a former priest and widow widower, um, the whole conflict with the aliens is actually what brings his family back together. Um, and then you have redemption of the cosmos, that maybe conflict is the first step to um, contact and redemption. And then finally, uh, suffering, to where, as with any kind of suffering, if we suffer at the hands of 
the vastness of the cosmos or even alien species that just suffers into all the suffering that we should allow to bring us closer into contact with God. Uh, I have taken way too long. There's a guy in an alien morph suit. Um, this is the Drake equation, which is how people estimate the probability of there being extraterrestrial intelligence in our galaxy. The Fermi paradox is a very interesting discussion, which is not relevant to what we've discussed tonight. Here are my takeaways again. I want to open up uh, the time, which I took too much of for a little bit of discussion, if anybody has anything they'd like to say. I can go back to, through any of these slides to go back to a point. What do you guys think is the most interesting objection we've discussed tonight? The one that'll keep you up maybe for an extra hour tonight. What if aliens like, don't have their own version of Christianity, I guess? I mean, I suppose I guess we're there to save them. So that would be back to the original objection that aliens probably have a better religion than we do, or that aliens are unreached by the gospel, but need to be reached by the gospel or can't be reached by the gospel. So that would be his answer, is probably the problem of the unevangelized. I was most interested by the uh, proposition that uh, aliens have been reached by the gospel and saying, like, yes, this, this happened on unemployment. Okay. But it's still applicable to you. That would, if, if that were the case, it would fortify Christianity significantly because they following that affirmative And imagine if we were in their shoes. And we just, oh yeah, on another planet somewhere. That would be an extraordinary claim. Okay. Um, I hope very much to continue discussing these things with you guys when we go to REVs. We spend some extra time down there discussing either the contents of our meeting or we spend some extra time just discussing random things or what's going on in our lives. Uh, I'd also love to keep discussing these things with you guys in the Slack. Um, if you guys haven't joined already. And let me just go through my takeaways one more time. So there is no conflict with the core of Christianity. You should know your doctrine, and that will equip you to realize that, that all these um, claims of incompatibility are without substance from a doctrinal point of view. But I do think that Thomas Paine gives us a good point, that we shouldn't be overly anthropocentric when we're considering the gospel. It's not all about us. That is not what the gospel is about. Um, it is about God's faithfulness and his sovereignty and his goodness. Uh, two, there are no inherent apologetic problems. Uh, nothing new came up. But when you revisit some of our greatest hits, um, you uh, might uncover some interesting challenges and questions that I think that you should con continue to consider. Uh, number three, you should reconcile your perspective on the Christian narrative with a wide range of possibilities. I think this goes towards even sympathizing with your neighbors. If you can't take their suffering into your worldview, then you can't have an effective relationship with that person and uh, minister to them with the gospel. And then four, if anything I've said tonight raises some especially worrisome possibilities for you in your mind, um, rest easy-ish. Maybe uh, you don't need to let this get under your skin or give you undue anxiety because quite simply there is absolutely no strong positive reason to believe that ETI exists in our galaxy.
thank you for your attention. Uh, I'm sorry that I was talking for so long. I wish that we had a bit more discussion tonight, but really interesting stuff. All right. Oh, I even put it on there. It says, thank you for your attention. That was my best meeting yet, but uh, my awareness of time is still a problem. I should have also restricted my focus. I realize that now. I just... Every time I, I opened the article and every time I, I gave a quick Google search, I, I thought of something else. I'm like, that's really interesting. I didn't know how to uh, necessarily uh, uh, keep those things out of my <laughs> slides. I, what I should have done well, is, is you put, put everything in, in my slides, slides and then and just skip a bunch of slides. Yeah. Which I would have done if this week hadn't been so busy. And I, I put in all the work I could today, and I'm satisfied with how my presentation turned out. But if I had put in less time over a longer time period, I could have.